Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. Good morning again. We want to welcome those of you who might be uh, tuning in by live stream. Maybe you're unable to be here because of the weather today or health. You're just as much a part of our church family as everyone sitting in this room. So welcome. Uh, We're going to eventually get to Joshua chapter 3. If you want to flip there, I want to do some introduction stuff first. And uh, that's where we'll land is is a little bit out of Joshua 1 and Joshua chapter 3. I'll be reading out of New Living Translation. Like you saw in the video tonight at 6 o'clock is the Accelerate Evening Edition. This is going to be worship intertwined with prayer. We're going to focus on the four largest categories that are back in our prayer room on the topics, which is physical healing, finances, marriage, and salvation of loved ones. So we're going to have those prayer focuses each uh, throughout worship, and then we're going to end our night at the altar, uh, receiving prayer and just focusing on the Lord. So for this Sunday and next, and then also for the next three Wednesdays, we're going to be focusing on the moments leading up to and the time after uh, the Lord led the Israelites into the wilderness, uh, or out of the wilderness, and into the promised land and the events that surrounded that. The promised land was first introduced in Genesis chapter 12 uh, to Abraham from the Lord, where God promised a resting place, a place of abundance and provision for his people. So we began this series. This is a different type of series because it started on a Wednesday night, and it's going to be Sunday morning, Wednesday night, just flowing through uh, the the rest of this month. So I would encourage you, if you you were not here on Wednesday, go back sometime before this Wednesday, listen to the message from last Wednesday night. Come this Wednesday as well. There's no teaching on Sunday nights. Like I mentioned, it's worship uh, threaded through with prayer. This week, today, we're going to talk about acceleration bringing alignment. So we live in Western PA, so I don't even have to ask for a sign of hands, you know, who has a car that's ever been out of alignment. Like you probably are five seconds off of your driveway and your car hits a, you know, pothole or whatever. But we know... uh, wheels can come out of alignment. And what happens when that, whenever there are, is a wheel out of alignment, it can affect uh, your steering, it can affect your suspension, it can affect uh, the lifespan of your tires, it can affect a lot of different things. But the, the main thing is, is like when you feel like your car's driving normal and you take uh, your hand off the wheel just for a second and you like start to go like this, then you know, I test that out a lot too. I probably shouldn't as much as I did. Is that out of alignment? But what happens is, is it pulls your vehicle off of the road. So we might think, oh, I don't want to pay the $80 or whatever it is to get it aligned. But it's extremely important. If you don't, again, your tires are going to wear out. It can mess up other things in your car. But most importantly, it's going to pull you off the road and can cause an accident. This same exact reality and principle is true in our lives. If our life is out of alignment, the parts of our life that are affected are are going to be affected by that one part that's out of alignment. Does this make sense? If one part of your life is out of alignment, it's going to mess up other areas of your life. Most importantly is it's going to pull your life off of the road that God has for you. It doesn't mean that God's road isn't still there. Sometimes I'll hear people say, you know what, I'm miserable and I'm this and this, and God's just not speaking to me. It might be that you've just, you're out of alignment. So you've veered off the road, not realizing that you're no longer on his path for you. It doesn't mean that he's mad at you. It doesn't mean that his mercy isn't new every morning. It doesn't mean that he's not for you. All those things are true because they're found in God's word. It might just be something is out of alignment that you haven't taken enough time to realize and you veered off of the road. 
No, this is what happened time and time again with the Hebrews who were originally, the Israelites who were originally called the Hebrews in the wilderness. They got out of alignment, they were stalled. They got out of alignment, then they were stalled. They would start to obey, they would disobey, they got out of alignment, and it stalled them. And as a result, they spent 40 years in a desert that should have only taken several weeks to get across. So what we wanna do, we want to take intentional steps in January, that's why we're calling it Accelerate. We wanna press on the gas pedal. We're not saying that promises are going to be fulfilled any quicker. We're not saying that, that we're forcing the Lord's hand on things. What we're saying is we're done, doing the thing, we're done doing things the way that we used to do them. So we're gonna choose to push the accelerator on by spending more time with him, by reading the word more intently, by actually believing what it says is coming true in our life right now, not in the far off distant future. Though we're not forcing his hand, we're believing in his word. And when we believe in his word, it says it pleases him. So he responds to faith. That's so why we're taking time to fast, to come to a point of brokenness, to say, I'm absolutely nothing. I'm empty without you, so I need you. I need you more every day. That's pushing your pedal onto the acceleration, on the accelerator. That's what we're doing this January. So what I want to do is just a quick overview. I'm not going to go in depth as I was, <clears throat> as I did this past Wednesday. Again, for the full context, it's on our podcast and also the video. Before the journey through the wilderness, I'm just going to call them Israelites. They were they're God's people. They were first referred to as the Hebrews. They lived in Egypt for several hundred years. It started when Joseph, it's a man you can read about in the book of Genesis. Joseph had great favor with the current king, the Pharaoh. <clears throat> he had a very high position with Pharaoh. So he was distributing the food and had a lot of favor. So there's a great famine in the land, though he is very blessed. So he brings his family to Egypt and they, they lived there for several hundred years. Pharaoh's entire generation dies off and the next Pharaoh uh, comes into um, rulership and he looks at the Hebrews, he looks at Joseph's family as being a threat because they had grown to a large number. So instead of uh, you know, allowing them to live in a portion of land, he, tur he turned them into slaves. So there was oppression, there was beating, it's, it's, it's slavery uh, to, you know, it's worst condition. Anytime you see slavery, bondage, uh, any, anytime you see those types of things in scripture, that is a picture of what the enemy wants to do in your life. So don't just say, oh, poor Hebrews, they were slavery. Look at what was happening to them. Look at how they were in that bondage and how they were suffering, how they were being treated. That's a picture of what the enemy wants to do in your life. You can learn the strategies of the enemy by looking at some of these things. So after facing many years of harsh treatment and punishment, the Lord sends Moses to be their deliverer. Who's our ultimate deliverer? Jesus, very good. So Moses is a type of Jesus. He's a representation of being, having us delivered out of the bondage of the enemy. In scripture, it says that there were approximately 600,000 men and women and children. So there were, you know, studies would show maybe 2 million people were delivered out of slavery into the wilderness. Psalm 105, 37 says that the Lord brought his people out of Egypt loaded, say loaded, loaded with silver and gold, and not one among the tribes of Israel even stumbled. Your translation might say, none of them was feeble, which means coming out of bondage, the Lord had provided for them everything that they would need with provisions and also healed anybody who was sick. So they were all walking strong in the Lord. I said it Wednesday night, I'll say it again. 
The next time you say, I'm in a desert season, I'm in the wilderness, reread that verse and realize when the Lord took the Hebrews into the wilderness, they were loaded with silver and gold and they were walking in strong health. So you don't have to go through dry and decrepit just hoping to get a morsel from the Lord. Even when the Lord sent them into the wilderness, they had everything that they would need. So it was supposed to take about 60 days to cross this desert land. Disobedience caused them to be there for 40 years. In fact, the Lord, the consequence of sin was that everybody who was over the age of 20 had to die in the wilderness, including the deliverer, Moses, because of disobedience. Now, there were two people, Caleb and Joshua. They were the only two that were over 20 when, Egypt, uh, when the Israelites were delivered from Egypt that survived. It's because they actually had faith and believed that God was going to take them into the promised land. They were two of 12 spies that were sent in earlier on by Moses to spy on the land. Everybody else said, these people are huge. The walls are fortified. And they come back and they're like, listen, the fruit is huge and the land is plentiful with milk and honey. We can do this. So the Lord honored their obedience. He honored their faith. And these were the two that were allowed in. In fact, Numbers 32 verse 12 says, the only exceptions, it says everybody else must die. The only exceptions are Caleb, son of Jephaniah, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they have wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Say, wholeheartedly. wholeheartedly. Throughout the Bible, the, the, the Lord is asking us to follow us with all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our heart, all of our strength. So this was being honored. This is the goal, to wholeheartedly follow the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, they were following laws written on stone. In the New Testament, it says that God's written his law upon our heart. So we're not following him wholeheartedly by following rules. We're in relationship with him now. So it's out of that intimate relationship that we can obey the Lord. So the promised land, this was their reward. This was supposed to be their home, their resting place for God's people. Abundant blessing, abundant provision. The majority of this land was west. There's a map that you'll be able to see up here. Was west of the Jordan River all the way down uh, to Egypt, all the way up north. There were territories that were to the east of the Jordan River. The Jordan River is the Blue River right up the middle of the map. They were, where we're picking up in Joshua, they were east of the river about to go through the Jordan River. They needed, the Lord wanted them to completely annihilate one enemy at a time until they had full reign of this promised land. Why are we talking about the promised land? Because it's representative of how the Lord wants you to live the, the saved, spirit-filled life. It's a picture of a physical place in the Old Testament that should be a spiritual reality for us. So when you look at it, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It has luscious uh, fruits and it's fruitful. It's, full, it's a life of fruitfulness and fulfillment. That doesn't always mean like you don't have to feel guilty if you're in debt right now. You don't have to feel guilty if you're struggling with something right now. This is the picture that could build faith and encouragement of where God wants you to be. A lot of times people will hear and they'll say, well, I don't, I'm not loaded with silver and gold and I'm sick right now. And that will cause discouragement. It shouldn't. We should come to a realization and say, wait a minute, this is the Lord's will for my life, to be provided for, to be protected, to be blessed, uh, to have a good relationship with him, to be able to walk healthy all the days of my life so I can serve him wholeheartedly. 
So for not there, don't let it discourage you. Let it encourage you to say, I'm just gonna continue to seek you. I'm not walking in guilt or shame. I refuse to do it. I see your word. I see there's a better way. So help me to grow in my relationship with you. Help me to grow in my faith until I see some of these areas of my life change. Amen? Okay. Egypt. This is slavery. This is the devil's work. This is where he wants you to be until you die and go to hell. It's bondage. When you see the Hebrews in slavery, that's the devil's work. They come through the Red Sea. That's a picture of water baptism and salvation because they're delivered from slavery, from Egypt. So when they're coming through the Red Sea, it's a picture of water baptism. The wilderness is not supposed to last all these years, though we see Moses was prepared in the desert for 40 years. So when we think a long time, don't try to calculate that on your timeline. Don't put God in a box, let him work. So the wilderness is a time of preparation, a time of growing a root system in the Lord to walk into the abundance he has for you. But just picture though, though it could be longer than you want, it wasn't supposed to be as long as they spent. 60 days or so on compared to 40 years. Give me a break. We look at them and say, oh, they're so stupid. They continue to disobey and then obey and disobey and obey. Stop and look at your life before you criticize them. (laughs) There's a reason this is in here. So it's a season of preparation. Going through the Jordan River, Red Sea, water baptism, Jordan River, spirit baptism. You step into the promised land. It's the fullness that he has for you right now. And then we get to experience all of eternity with him in perfection in the new Jerusalem. Pretty amazing, isn't it? So Joshua chapter one, this is after 40 years of being in the desert. It says that after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead the people, the Israelites across the Jordan River. Into the land I'm giving you. He explains the geography of the land. And then in verse five, it says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. And this promise is for us today also. It's the reality of the spirit of Jesus in us. He's not gonna fail us. He's not gonna give up on us. He's not going to abandon us. In verse six through nine, he's telling them to be strong and courageous. And then in verse 10, he says this, Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp and tell the people to get their provisions ready. In three days, you will cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you. So what happens here is he spoke to them as a group. So we look at Jesus sometimes, or we look at our relationship with Jesus sometimes as so singular. And throughout the scripture, it's done as a community. Right, like our Father who art in heaven, increase our faith. There was a community of believers talking, though the community, the body of Christ, the church, the church family, which is the body of Christ, is made up of individuals. So what happens is we have close to two million people. The kids had to read up all their toys and get ready, and the adults had to get all of their provisions. Now, they had used some of it to build the tabernacle and so on, but they still had provisions. This is a picture of us getting our life in order so the Lord can move us forward. Every individual, you all have possessions, provision, spiritually and physically. If they did not gather their things and get their possessions in order, could the Lord have moved them forward? 
say no. You're allowed to talk back to me. You get awkward when you just stare at me like, I think it's no, but I'm not going to say in case I'm wrong. Could it be the Lord's absolute positive will to accelerate them? And though, if they did not gather their things and get ready, he's unable to move them. Are you seeing something here? We think sometimes if we're stuck in a rut, if we're just like dull in life, that it's like God doesn't want to move us forward. God must have other plans. Maybe you haven't prepared your possessions yet. Maybe you haven't gotten things into order so that the Lord can easily move you down the path. Maybe your tires are just a little bit misaligned, and today could be the day where we see alignment. When I watch football, my head wants to still play. I want to be out there like a linebacker, to boom, hitting people like I was able to a long, long time ago. My body is not aligned with my head. So I can't play football. My head wants to. My will wants to. My body is no longer in alignment. Jesus is the head. He wants to take us forward. He wants to actually show us great miracles. He wants to see us see amazing things in our life. But if his body is not in alignment, it could be operating against what the Father wants to do. We have to stop blaming him for a life of lack and a life of misery and everything else. The shortage is not on his end. He wants to win the Super Bowl with us, even though the Steelers are already out. (laughs) All right. Focus, Kurt. (laughs) Joshua 2. I'll give it to you in 30 seconds. Joshua sends two spies into the promised land. This is before they crossed over the Jordan. These two spies met a woman named Rahab. King's men came looking for these spies. She hid them up on her roof. She said, please do not like annihilate me. We've heard you're coming. Please don't kill me when you come, me and my family. So there was a scarlet rope that she let them out on so they could escape uh, to the hill country for a few days. They said, "When, when you see us coming, hang this from your window and we will not do it. That's chapter two. You can reread it for yourself. Chapter three, here we go. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Acacia Grove and they arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they had camped before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. Here's the instructions. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. So picture two million people. This entire next generation had grown up. They got all of their possessions ready. They got themselves in order, and now they were to move forward. But how did they move forward? What were they following? The Ark of the Covenant. What did the Ark of the Covenant represent? The presence of God. The same holds true for us today. What does he say here? You've never been this way before, so they're going to guide you. Well, I'm nervous. I don't, know, I don't know what the Lord's gonna do. If I start to fast, he starts to show me things and it's new territory, it's new land, and I don't, I don't know how to get there. Do what they did. Wait until the presence of God leads you to that direction and then go. Don't you think a few out of two million people were a little bit nervous of crossing through a rushing river? The promise was that the spirit of God, the presence of God was going to lead them and guide them. 
And you have that presence inside of you through the Holy Spirit. That's a pretty good deal. Verse five says this. Joshua said to the people, purify yourselves. Many of your translations say, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do great wonders among you. I guarantee some of the people, they had already gotten the possessions ready. They've gotten their things all packed up and they got their book bags on. I'm sure some of them were still a little bit skeptical. Some of them were still, I'm sure, a little bit nervous. Like what is about to happen with us? But they did it. They purified themselves. They consecrated themselves. That word means to set, set yourself apart as being holy. So listen to this. We were made holy the moment we gave our life to Jesus. It's our position in Christ. Okay, so when we stand before the Father, it is, will be as if we've never sinned. The blood of Jesus has washed away all of our sins. So though we are holy by position, we are still called to live a lifestyle of holiness. You don't just sit in that position and then do what you want to do. So don't ever use your position in Christ as an excuse to live how you want to. God, through his grace, is enabling you to live a holy life, as Jesus has said throughout his teachings as well. So if you knew, like if God visited you, if an angel visited you this afternoon, and he said, listen, tomorrow, guys, listen, tomorrow morning, amazing things are going to happen. The first person you pray for is going to get healed. The third person you talk to is going to get born again. You're going to see the power of God flowing through your life. I'm going to separate traffic for you on the way to work as I separated the Jordan River. I give all, that might be the most amazing thing for you, right? If God truly showed up and told you th these things, and he said, listen, all I need you to do is consecrate yourself, purify yourself. Would you continue to just turn on the TV tonight and just going to go about your business? Would you care about the scores of the game? Like, let's be honest. Like, like you're, there's no feedback right now. If God visited you and told you the things that have been in your heart, the, the, the abundant life, these breakthroughs were absolutely positively happening tomorrow morning, would you not give it attention? Absolutely. And I believe through his word, he's saying that to us every single day. But we don't take it serious. Notice I'm including myself. We honestly don't see the urgency that he would use us in signs and wonders and miracles today. That he would use us to encourage somebody who's struggling with suicidal thoughts this afternoon when you're eating lunch. If we actually believed he wanted to use his body in alignment with his will, his purpose, his plan, then maybe we would purify ourselves a little bit more. Maybe we would take this, this aspect of consecration a little bit more. I read one, Richie Seltzer was just with us last Sunday. I read one of his words that he gave just about a year and a couple months ago. October 27th of 2017, he says, I feel like revival is coming. The souls will justify what's happening because the millennial generation is going to get saved at a rapid pace in this house. And I'm reading this a couple of days ago and I have to realize, am I doing everything in my ministry, in my mind, in my life to actually prepare for this? If I believe it to be true. Since I see you, the church, reaching out to a particular area where there are African Americans and I see there being a great harvest coming in and Hispanics. I see that God is giving you creative strategies to break the orphan spirit in the city. 
I mean, are we taking this for real? We've submitted this to the church body before. Is there a consecration or is there just an excitement that God's gonna come up and sprinkle his pixie dust and it's gonna do, it's gonna happen? Or is he actually calling us? Make sure our life and our heart is in alignment so he can move. And we're not dragging our possessions. We're not saying, oh God, you're, you're, you're up here and I still have to gather my things. I think it was in that same message, Richie said, the things that can hide when revival's not here, the things that can hide in secret in everyday life will absolutely be exposed when revival hits. Because there will be deep repentance of sin, deep confession. Why not us, the church body, get ready beforehand? Why would we wait until after we've crossed into the Jordan River and we're doing things that our enemies are doing? He said it's gonna shift the atmosphere and spiritual climate of this city. And the city's gonna ask what they can do to serve the vision because it's gonna be a vision that's supernatural, a vision that will bring many to Christ. He said, I see school districts opening up to us. He sees lots of businesses, the business mountain and business community opening up, waiting to partner with us. And this is just our church body. Think about you specifically, what he wants to do and is our life in order? And listen, if you follow my ministry for the last three and a half years or however, three years, however long I've been in the position, you'll know I love to talk about his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his love. But intention with that is the aspect of obedience and holiness and the, the destruction that sin will create in our life. It doesn't mean that he's angry with us. It doesn't mean he's frustrated. His grace continues to flow over us even as we fail, even like, like Paul said, as sin abounds, grace abounds even more. But sin is real. Disobedience is real and it does affect our life. It does slow us down. If we can catch a picture that they spent 40 years in a desert that should have been several weeks because of disobedience. And think about how much further you could be, should be in your life if it wasn't for disobedience. And if you can get to a point to not allow, allow you to go to a place of guilt, condemnation, or shame, don't let it take you there. Let it take you to a place of brokenness where you say, God, today's the day. Enough is enough, I'm ready. I see the potential of tomorrow morning before me. I see the potential of lunch or tonight. I see that potential. So today, search my heart. Show me any wicked way that's in me. Show me where I'm out of alignment and bring me into alignment. Guess what that is? That is his mercy. That is his grace. That is his goodness. Right? When we stay just on this side, we actually sometimes forget that we have things to confess and repent of. He's good and he's loving and he's kind and soft. Yeah, and he's our judge. He's the righteous judge. At some point, we need to take that as serious as we take that. It's when we recognize that we could be in this place, we might not be hitting on all cylinders, that we will rely more on his mercy and more on his grace than we ever have before. It's so fitting that our prayer focus today in our Accelerate Guide says this, send your revival fire into my life and purify me from every sinful habit, vice, and stronghold. Again, I'm not bent to preach this way, but I have to admit in my life that there are things that are less than perfect. There are things that are missing the mark. That's what sin is when you miss the mark. So if I pray this and I take time to meditate on it, I guarantee you he's gonna show you. This isn't rocket science. Search my heart, Lord. And then it's like, it's not mystical. Actually ask him, 
Father, send your revival fire into my life, into my heart. Purify me from any habit that is less than your identity for me. Get rid of any vice, that things that lock you, strongholds, those things that are holding you back. Identify those things in my life. And then when they identify, don't feel like a piece of garbage. Say, thank you for identifying them in my life. I confess them. Give me the gift of repentance that I could walk away from those and into your path in my life. Right? We don't sit there and weep and whine and moan if, some, if the car dealership calls us and says it's out of alignment. We want it fixed. Get it fixed. Like, we don't have to labor over this for years and years and years. If we're really saying, I'm exposing my entire heart to you, and that is very vulnerable, that is very transparent, but I'm trusting your Holy Spirit to point out areas that are lower than the identity of holiness that you have for me. And as he starts pinpointing these things, I confess these to you, verbalize it, right? Faith, the confession of our faith. Verbalize those things to the Lord, and I can guarantee he will move in your life. It's a matter if you wake up tomorrow morning in faith that he moved yesterday or if you just go back into the same rut as before. It is by his mercy and his grace that he wants to do these things. I want to read this over us and then we'll close. I want you to know the end of this, and then, and then I'll read this. In verse 14, in Joshua, it says, the people left the camp of the Jordan River, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. Isn't that just like God? I'm reading this. I've read it several times. I'm reading this like, Lord, like you, you brought them to the banks of this river, not like when it's shallow, almost dried out. They're like, okay, we can do this, God. Like these things, like the water is rushing over the banks. It's flood season, which makes anyone else that had any doubt, like think there's no way this is possible. But they still purified themselves. They still consecrated themselves. They still got their heart ready, even though they're thinking, how is this going to work? Do you see purifying yourself and consecrating yourself is an act of faith. Not having a clue how it's going to work out is not doubt. Sometimes we think like, oh my goodness, like, like I'm 15 feet away from where it usually is and the water is getting my feet wet already. That's not doubt, thinking I have no clue how this is gonna work out. Consecrate yourself, purify yourself. It's a sign that you actually trust he's gonna do what his word says. So isn't it just like God to pick the flood season to take them across? It's amazing. He does, because then we take our own abilities completely out of the picture. So it says, the water was above the point, uh, the water above that point, hold on. As soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up at a great distance away at a town called Adam, uh, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. So there's a crossing over into the promised land because of they were consecrated. Verse 17 said, Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed 
as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. I love that picture, that the presence of God was right in the middle of that miracle the entire time. The Ark of the Covenant just standing. I could just picture how tall that wall of water became as it just grew and grew and grew. It's coming down from the Sea of Galilee and everything else just went until two million people could cross over. It's amazing. The Lord will take something that looks completely impossible in your eyes and he'll make it possible. And the presence of God will be with you. But he's first telling us, get our possessions ready and purify ourselves. Why don't we stand? You know, one area the Lord's even dealing with right now. Like I have a little bit of anxiousness in my heart. It's 1137. Let's just all admit it for anyone who's already looking at their clock. In my heart, if I believe that the Lord wants to do amazing things among you and you actually agree with that, then somehow the rest of your day is gonna work out. Somehow children's ministry is gonna continue to plow through. Your reservations will wait. Just fast lunch, you'll get a reward. It's all right. That we have to get to a point as a church body, not to waste time. We want to be wise with your time. We want to steward your time well. But also, if the Lord wants to deal something in your heart today, so it's done, dealt with, gone, then we want to let him. This is the psalm that is taken from today's prayer focus. And I just want to read it over you. It says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. See, the Lord was telling them, purify yourselves, consecrate yourselves. They can't do that themselves. What they have to do is put their heart in a position for the Lord to do it. Instead of hiding all these things in these little closets of your heart, not letting the Lord touch it. It says, for I recognize, listen, this is it right here. This is him positioning his heart, the psalmist here, David. For I recognize my rebellion and haunts me day and night. What if we would get to a place like that when we rebelled against the Lord and disobeyed, it would actually haunt us in the best of ways. So we would repent and confess and get back on track. It says, against you and you alone, I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from my, the moment my mother conceived me, but you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Give me back my joy again. I'm telling you, unconfessed sin will steal your joy. I'm doing everything right. Listen, if you're hiding stuff in your heart from the Lord, it will steal your joy. So there's a confession here. And he's not saying I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. He's saying, listen, I've recognized I've rebelled against you. I've recognized where I'm sinned, where, I'm, where, I, where I've sinned. Now you purify me. And as you purify me, you're gonna take away my guilt and you're gonna restore my joy. It says, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. That's just a brokenness. It's a contrite heart. It says, now let me rejoice. Look at that. We can have that same conversation with the Lord. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. 
Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. See, the Holy Spirit's already in you. You're just asking, renew that spirit in me. Create once again a clean heart in me. He says, do not banish me from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me, which we know in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit's not going anywhere. It says, restore me to the joy of my salvation. Say joy. See, that clean heart comes, that loyal spirit comes, and there's a refreshing of that, of that joy. It says, make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. If you wonder why you struggle with witnessing, reaching out, and telling others about Jesus, teaching the rebels. Maybe you have something locked up in your heart that you haven't given to him yet. And when you give it to him, there will be a restoration of the joy of your salvation. You actually like what he did for you enough to tell somebody else about it. Whoever thought confession and repentance was a toll of evangelism? It says, forgive me. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth will praise you. You don't desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Broken does not mean like walking out of here broken. Broken means I'm handing you all of the pieces so that you will restore it all and put it back together. It says, look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit with burnt offerings and the whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar, talking about that the sacrifices will count again. They will be done the right way. We're not gonna formally end today. What we're gonna do, Adam's gonna sing a song. You can sing along with him. And anybody, everybody who wants to just come forward, we're not gonna even pray over you right now. We're gonna spend extended time at the altar tonight uh, uh, praying for you if the prophetic flows, words of knowledge and so on. Today, I want you to come before the Lord. You could do that sitting down, but an act of faith might be you coming and kneeling on the steps, standing before the Lord, singing to him and just giving him once again, just asking him, God, restore this joy of my salvation. Show me. Show me any area that's out of alignment that I could be restored to your purpose and your plan and your power. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.